You're listening to the Loose Pucks Podcast with Zach Hopkins and Dave Isaac. Welcome into episode 12 of the Loose Pucks Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my co-host, Zach Hopkins, feeling a little bit under the weather, so he's doing this uh, remotely. How you feeling, Zach? Hanging in there, Dave. Hanging in there. Didn't want to, uh, you know, risk getting you sick right before tomorrow night's big game against the Detroit Red Wings. Well, I do appreciate that, although I do hope you feel better also. But uh, Thank you. Appreciate it. Maybe watching the Flyers will will pick you up because uh, recently they've certainly gone on a tear. Still on the edge of that playoff contention there. They are three back of the Detroit Red Wings uh, as of Monday night before playing the Red Wings on Tuesday and four back of the Pittsburgh Penguins who just lost Evgeny Malkin for uh, the foreseeable future. Uh, Detroit also losing Nicholas Cronwall, so that's that's a loss for them too. The Flyers seemingly getting healthier with Jake Voracek on the, the, the verge of returning here. And it's amazing if you look at it. And, and one of my sleeping declarations from the last episode was that the Flyers would, uh, you know, kind of come through it with what Jake said, which is that they would have to get ten points uh, on, that, on that home stand at least, which they did. Uh, the only game they lost was was the one I didn't necessarily think they were going to drop to the Edmonton Oilers, a four nothing uh, dud of sorts. But uh, came through for Voracek, and now hopefully Voracek will come through for them as he's uh, nearing return, uh, possibly tomorrow night. And coming through for you, too, in a sweeping declaration. That's rare for either of us on this show. Amazing. I'm going to run with it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to pocket it. I'm going to run with it. Well, if you get another one this week, that's that's like a streak. So you can you can put that in your pocket. Um, but it, Going it, streaking. <laughs> the, the Flyers' prospects as well is something to, to kind of keep an eye on as, as some uh, seasons are, are looking to you know, close here. Uh, one guy who we'll get to in a little bit, Oscar Lindblom, over in, in Barinas in the Swedish Hockey League. His team was just eliminated on Monday, which also uh, means that Felix Sandstrom's season is over as well, but but Lindblom could potentially come over here. So that's that's one of the guys that, that you kind of look for. You, you look almost these days more at the, the Phantoms roster than the Flyers in terms of movement anyway because of uh, some some guys that could potentially come over, Lindblom being one of them. Uh, they, they signed uh, one of the players from the University of Maine last week, so there's some some additions. Maybe they can help the the Phantoms into the playoffs too. Absolutely, they're coming down to the wire there, and uh, you know it only only makes them a better team to have some of these other players come over, and you know gives the fans a chance to take a look at them. There, some of these guys are, are names that we've heard quite often not just on our podcast, but just in terms of being uh, NHL draft picks and uh, being highly touted. So for them to come on over and kind of get a chance to play a little bit uh, almost reminds you back to the days of uh, Mike Richards and Jeff Carter with the Phantoms when they went on a little Calder Cup on, although that team was probably positioned a little bit better at this point in the season. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> that team was, uh, was was certainly more towards the top, and especially in terms of the, the talent level that they had also. Uh, but when you bring it back to the NHL for, for just a minute here, and some of the things the Flyers have done well, as I was putting the rundown together for this show, uh, I looked off at the last show, and that one led off with saying that the Flyers are three points back, and that was two weeks ago. It does, for whatever reason, seem like they're a little bit closer, though. Even though it is uh, still that three-point differential, they they just seem like they're a little bit closer to to you know knocking on the door there and getting in before the the end of the regular season on April tenth. Well, that's the thing, and and you're right. I mean, the last so many episodes, we, we it seems like we're saying the same thing. First, they're a handful of points out, then it'll be four points, 
and three points, and that's where we find ourselves today. But it it, it has a feeling towards it. It, it, it. There are feeling to it. It's hard to kind of describe. But you know, the team is playing so well. They're playing well in the face of adversity with different players in and out of the lineup with with injuries. Uh, you know, you have a goaltender now, Steve Mason, who's playing well. You know, Michael Norvert gets ill the other night. Mason goes back to back. Was that in the original plans? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. But he he performed well. You know, either way, and and you kind of keep your eye on these other teams. And, and the Flyers players will play the same thing. They're scoreboard watching, and you're looking at a team like Pittsburgh uh, and Detroit just because they're the two right now. You know, immediately ahead of them in the wild card race. And as we just mentioned, they both have a couple key injuries. And, you know, you, you, you don't want to put the, the cart before the horse, but there, there just seems to be a feeling about this final stretch here, these last, you know, 16 games or so. You just have a feeling that, you know, with the way they're playing, with the way their confidence is going right now, you know, they, this, this is a team now that, that probably feels as if it can win the majority of the games down the stretch. Yeah, I, I think the players certainly feel that. Jake Voracek said that today, his first time on the ice with his teammates, uh, that the the pressure isn't on the Flyers, that it's on the Red Wings, it's on the Penguins. And it, it's funny to put this year against last year and Game 66 last year, uh, the Flyers head to Boston. They had the opportunity to win a game uh, that would have gotten them, I believe, within two points of Boston for the final playoff spot in the East. They're winning the game. Last minute and a half, Brad Marchand scores. Overtime, Marchand scores again. The next night, they go into Jersey and just get rocked. I, this this does seem different. Do you think it's as as easy as to say that this team is doing it without its injured players because it was they were winning without Couturier for a little bit. They won a couple of games without Giroux, and now six one and one, I believe, without or six one and zero oh, without Voracek, something like that. In the seven games, five one and one. Sorry, five one and one without Voracek in the lineup. Do you think it's that easy? You know, it, it's it's amazing, and I think what the Flyers are doing is they're they're complementary staff, so to speak, is is really picking this team up. We've talked about it before numerous times about uh, you know much earlier in the season, obviously a guy like Goss is there coming up and just eliciting that energy into the lineup. But just most recently, uh, you know, a guy like Nick Cousins coming in, uh, Scott Lawton, even though he's been here, shifting positions to go to the wing, just the way that they've kind of been playing that fourth line. Uh, just, you know, just the consistency of what, you know, with which they've been playing, uh, you know, and a, and a guy like Voracek, you know, with him out, they've got a new top line now with, with Shen and Drew and, and Simmons, and they've been performing well. It just seems as though the feeling in the locker room is that when one guy goes down, someone else is going to step up and kind of, you know, carry that burden and, and get this team over the hump. And, you know, when you look at one guy getting injured and another guy stepping into the lineup, maybe like a Sam Gagne, it really hasn't been a, a one-for-one. Pretty, I mean, these last, gosh, I don't know, a dozen games or so, when one guy is out and it looks like the odds could be against them, it's been a team effort to step up. And I think that's been uh, something that's been, you know, a little bit different, especially in, in years past. So they're not really, you know, hoping and praying that one guy comes into the lineup and, and, you know, picks up the slack. Really, the entire team has done that. And as a result, we're seeing more and more games where they're actually playing a full 60 minutes and they're getting results out. Well, we talked earlier about some of the uh, juniors prospects that the Flyers have. Let's move now to the NCAA. Now also joining us on the phone is Bob Herpin. He reports on the Flyers, the Phantoms, and is our 
going to be our resident NCAA expert. Uh, he writes about the college hockey for alongtheboards.com. Th- Bob, thanks so much for calling in. Hey, Dave and Zach, great to be on here. So let's get started. Yeah, we've talked a lot on this show about some of the, the Flyers' prospects coming up, many of them in the Canadian Hockey League and even some guys overseas. Uh, the NCAA guys don't get as much love as I know you're well aware of. Uh, some of that has to do with the, the sample size of the seasons for those guys, but what, what do Flyers fans have to look forward to in terms of their NCAA prospects? Well, first and foremost, uh, I think the best story coming out of the NCAA Division One is Cooper Marodi, 2015 pick, freshman forward out of the University of Michigan. Tore the roof off early in his freshman season, had 12 points in his first 10 games, and just played like he was a, a young kid without a care and a great offensive system. But then the well dried up right after Thanksgiving, and it lasted all the way through the holidays and then right into the spring semester. They didn't find out what was wrong with him until mid-January. They found out he had mono. He had to miss an entire month of action while uh, three of his teammates basically stole the national spotlight. Then he came back in the middle of February and through the end of the season, which just concluded in the Big Ten this past weekend, had three assists in a two-game sweep at home against Penn State, bringing his totals to two goals and eight assists in seven games. So he's, uh, you know, the, the redemption uh, scenario is right there, and it looks like uh, Marody didn't miss a beat, and he's going to be a, a strong presence up front along with uh, Comfort, Mott, and uh, the rest of the crew with the Wolverines. And, Bob, a lot of times on this show, we'll talk about guys like Ivan Provorov, Travis Sanheim, the well-known junior guys that everybody seems to know. But then there's other players in the collegiate ranks, such as 2015 third-round pick Mark Friedman uh, down there at Bowling Green. What does what's a guy like, like him have to do in order to kind of, you know, pro- progress his game and sort of get in the same conversation with some of these other guys that might be a little bit more well-known in Philadelphia? Uh, well, again, you know, Dave alluded to that. It's going to be tough when you have a, a collegiate season, which is roughly half of a junior season. Now, I had spoken with uh, a couple guys associated with Bowling Green program, including beat writer Ryan Satoliak about midseason when I did a, a, basically a first half preview with Friedman. The thing that he needed to do the most was sort of temper his defensive play. I mean, they liked his aggressiveness as a freshman and especially as a sophomore as he grew into the role. Uh, he wasn't a starter, but he was getting essentially second-term minutes. But he had a tendency through midseason to take two types of penalties, uh, restraining fouls and then frustration penalties, uh, when you know things would go uh, a little heated in the corners and at mid-ice. And it looks like he's kind of come out of that. And as a matter of fact, uh, his offensive side has started to shine through. Now, the WCHA playoffs opened up this past weekend, and uh, Bowling Green sweated out a three-game series and ended up winning it against Matt Reed's Bemidji State. And Friedman picked up his first two-goal game of the entire season in a crucial Game 2 blowout victory, which eventually led to a Game 3 victory. So discipline would be one thing. Uh, offensive side would be another. And from what I heard from Seth Koliak in a brief talk in late December and January is that uh, Chris Bergeron and the rest of the coaching staff are looking to sort of foster that offensive side as well as uh, Friedman progresses through his junior and possibly senior seasons. Obviously, Shane Gostisbehere has kind of become the, the, the champion of NCAA hockey as it relates to Flyers prospects, but uh, they have a couple guys that, that are probably going to uh, advance their graduate, so to speak, to, to other levels of hockey. Reese Wilcox, we just talked about uh, before we, we did the interview on air here, uh, with Cornell just finished his season. And if I'm not mistaken, Merrick Madsen is – 
is ready to come out of Harvard as well after his campaign is done. Is that right? Well, let's start with uh, Mr. Wilcox, the 2012 Flyers pick and senior defenseman. He just, I believe, played his final game over the weekend as Cornell was knocked out by former number one in the country, Quinnipiac, which incidentally was just replaced by North Dakota in this week's USCHO poll. And Wilcox, you know, when he was given room on the power play, he was able to unleash a shot, which was pretty heavy. But that said, uh, he only had two goals and 11 assists, but 63 block shots. Now, Cornell was sort of a conservative defensive and a conservative offensive team. And uh, for Wilcox to use his, his skating and his positioning, which were two things that were sort of consistently lauded throughout his career, that's a promising sign. Merrick Manson, though, he is only a sophomore. Okay. Now, he's another story that's um, not even necessarily one of redemption, but uh, sort of Cinderella story coming out of nowhere. He played only one part of a game last year uh, as a freshman with Steve Michalek getting all of the other playing time. Ted Donato had a freshman, Michael Lack had been, as the nominal starter. But Manson took over the starting job just before Thanksgiving and took it and ran with it. And he's been involved in every single important game that Harvard has played up until this point. And they're going to play St. Lawrence in the ECAC quarterfinals this weekend. Manson was 17-5-3 so far, 1.95 goals against average, 9.33 state percentage, and four shutouts. That's top five all the way in the country. So you, you think, you know, the sky's the limit for him. I'm interested to see how far Harvard goes and how far Manson can take Harvard and then looking to build on that in the junior and senior seasons. I'd probably talk about Merrick Matson there. When you look at the organization for so many years, the struggle was there in terms of having, you know, good goaltending down on the farm and coming up through the ranks to, to really lead this team into the future. So we've talked before to a guy like Anthony Stolars, uh, Ron Hextall talked to us a little bit about a guy like Felix Sandstrom. But in terms of Madsen, where do you see uh, you know, his progression going in terms of, you know, his game is, is obviously picking up steam, but in terms of some of the guys that they have in the system now, where do you see a guy like Madsen uh, kind of fitting in? Do you think that, that he would be so, somewhat in line behind a Stolar than a Sandstrom, or do you think he still has uh, quite a bit of maturing left to go? Uh, interesting question, because as a guy who covers college hockey sort of on the level and not necessarily, you know, lifting the lid from above and seeing how college players could just benefit the NHL you know, whatever NHL organization they find themselves in. I go on the conservative side. I would love to see Madison play definitely through junior season and probably through senior year, you know, all things being equal right now. But, I mean, they could change. He could be injured. He could take off and win 30 games next year. We don't know. But um, I would see him behind the Stolars. Although it's an interesting question organizationally, who would Ron Hextall take behind Stolars, you know, for next season? Because you know, Jason Barbara is a an AHL veteran and a journeyman. Maybe uh, Hextall might want to go in a different direction. In which case, he'd probably be better off finding another AHL veteran journeyman for one year and, and have Madsen come up. And it could be Madsen and Stolarz, or Madsen could be the guy in a couple of years when Stolarz possibly gets a nod as an NHL backup. So, I mean, his, right now, with, with the way he's come on like a house of fire, you know, I'd say his ceiling is easily within three years he could be conceivably up uh, backing up Steve Mason at the NHL level. 
there doesn't seem to be a right way to to come up to the NHL anymore, Bob. A lot of times in the past, it used to be kind of CHL or bust. Uh, the Flyers have some guys over in Europe as well. But how far has the college game gone in general, not specific to the Flyers prospects, uh, as it relates to kind of being a, a, a starting point for an NHL career? Well, I'll tell you one thing is that uh, the Players' Tribune has done, you know, has done leaps and bounds now. It's funny we're talking about this. One of the guys I want to touch on possibly later on is Jimmy Vesey, senior forward at Harvard alongside uh, Merrick Manson. He just released uh, a post in the Players' Tribune talking about why he chose to come back for his senior season. It's, it's interesting because I probably would have had a better grip on this when I was younger and more involved in the thing because I, you know, everybody else knows that, that I'm a Boston College graduate. I was there from 96 to 2000. I was a, a, broad, a team broadcaster and accompanied them to two Frozen Fours in a national championship game. There's, there's something about it in terms of the camaraderie. And you're not necessarily treated as a well, how should I say this? You're not, you're not, you're treated more as a person at the NCAA level. Yeah. Juniors, where you're coming in 16, 17, 18 years old, you're expected to produce, and there's a lot of heat on you to move up to the next level. But you can come in as an 18 year old, 19 or 20 year old, play anywhere between two to four seasons, and have time with what is essentially half an NHL or a professional schedule to not only develop your game, but you know, have a fallback as you, as you degree, mm-hmm. develop relationships that may even last into your pro career, as, you, as you've seen with Jack Eichel, drafted by the Buffalo Sabres, a uh, line made of Evan Rodriguez at BU last year, and Rodriguez was an undrafted free agent who eventually was signed by the Sabres organization, so that was a little bit of a safety net. A coincidence, but uh, you know that helps in development as well if you can have line mates and teammates who are there to share the journey with you and are there developing at the NHL level as well. Uh, two quick ones before we let you go, Bob. Uh, Matai Tomek, the, the Flyers pick from, from last season, didn't get a lot of playing time at North Dakota. If you can uh, just touch on what maybe he can uh, look forward to next year with, with that UND program. And this time of year when, when you see uh, a lot of these teams ending their seasons, there tends to be some – uh, you know, un- undrafted free agents that are signed. Do you, do you think any anybody's out there that could potentially be on the Flyers' radar? Mm. Well, Mr. Tomek, one thing you can do to ensure that he gets playing time is just flat out stay healthy, which is the reason why he essentially, in, in air quotes, lost the battle with uh, freshman backup Matt Rinkew. Uh, if Tomek had remained healthy in the offseason, going into the season, he might have uh, challenged Mr. Rinkew for the backup job to Cam Johnson, but that's not the way it, it fell out, and North Dakota went from a team where, in transition, where you didn't know exactly where they were going to be in the, in the NCHC, you didn't know whether they were going to be nationally, and now they've worked themselves all the way through the uh, NCHC uh, conference title. They're going to compete in the semifinals and finals this weekend, and they've just been crowned, as I mentioned earlier, the number one team in the country. So you almost have to get the sense that Tomek has to wait for something up, uh, unfortunate to happen to either Johnson or Rinkier to get in there. But save that, sit on the bench, you know, be attentive in practices and soak up everything you can, you know, to use at a time when you could uh, be slotted in, just like Merrick Madsen did between his 
non-existent freshman season and the spectacular sophomore campaign. Now, keeping on the subject of goaltenders, one guy that I was looking at in terms of undrafted free agents is Alex Lyon out of Yale, a three-year starter for the Bulldogs. This year is 1974, 1.59 GAA, which is second in the country, and his 938 save percentage tied with Thatcher Demko and one other goaltender for best in the nation. 50 career wins. Uh, the Bulldogs, though, are sort of a conservative team like Cornell, uh, offensively and defensively, so his goaltending numbers may be a little bit a product of his environment. But at six foot one, uh, he seems to be reasonably agile. Uh, 24 years old, you kind of have a hard time justifying him coming from Yale right to the American League before going into the NHL, and that might actually cause a, just a tiny bit of a problem with Mason and Neuwirth under contract. But the other guy I want to bring back to is uh, Jimmy Vesey at Harvard. Last year, 32 goals was top three in the nation. This year, he's got 23, which leads Harvard by a long shot. And as a four-year guy who decided to go back in, uh, he could be an immediate addition if he goes unsigned by the team that drafted him, Nashville, and goes back into that free agent pool. Flyers could conceivably pick him up. Have him start in the AHL, and I know there's a lot of followers out there that love to hear me say a guy should be sent down or stay in the AHL, and he can be an impact player within one to two years for the Flyers. Is is he uh, seem likely to do that, or, or does Nashville, I mean, they're, they're a team that's always been kind of hurting for offense. It seems likely that they would want to try and keep him, right? Oh, they're gonna, uh, that's no question. They're going to do everything they can to, but it's always a little suspicious at, at this late in the game, uh, even though Harvard has a chance to be very active and take a long run in the NCAA tournament should they be selected. That, you know, he's not signed by now. Hmm. Uh, Ron Hextel definitely teaches his ear to the ground on that one. And the one, the one last one. But, yes, you're one. right. Nashville, Nashville, does, that Nashville does need him more than the Flyers, but, boy, wouldn't you love to have him here. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and, and one last guy that I wanted to ask you about that we will touch on later in our South Jersey report uh, from Southampton, New Jersey, Kyle Criscuolo, who is the captain of that Harvard team. Uh, what, what do you think is on his horizon? He's a, another guy that's in that undrafted free agent pool. Well, he certainly seems to be uh, uh, just as good of a, of a human as he is a player. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's a, a 2016 finalist for the Hockey Humanitarian Award, which is given out to uh, Division One players that you know, exemplifies a certain subset of uh, criteria in terms of community service and community giving. Now, he's also, uh, I don't know if you gentlemen uh, had known this, was a former student at my alma mater, St. Joseph's Prep, who moved on to New England College Hockey and the USHL before going to Harvard. Uh, 23 years old, he's a little undersized, five foot eight, 175 pounds. But in an NHL where the average size of a forward uh, and the average weight has seen a, a downturn in recent years, he could make it. Uh, I would love to see him make it. He, he could be one of those stories like Brian Gianta and you know, Rob type guys that you know you never you would never see them. Or Nathan Gervey even guys that don't fit the NHL stereotype even in this day and age and uh, can make an impact. Uh, he's got 18 goals and 13 assists in 31 games. Right up there with Jim Vesey in terms of a of a leader. He would probably be a guy that 
I would see making an impact immediately, you know, as Harvard goes through the NCAA, as it goes through the ECU, ACC playoffs. As far as a potential ceiling, you never know. Uh, you, you had guys like on uh, Paul Correa's main team that scored 85 points on the 93 team, which is one of the greatest of all time, that only sniffed the ECHL. And even though that was 20-some years ago in a different generation, it's luck of the draw with guys like Chris Golo. If an, an organization sees the good in him and is willing to take the risk that that small stature is, is going to be worth something, uh, we're going to be seeing him a lot. And if another team doesn't, then well, at least he's got a Harvard degree and he can be a success in the outside world no matter what he does. Yeah, it doesn't seem too bad to have a Harvard degree to to fall back onto. Bob Herpin from the AlongTheBoards.com, college hockey expert who also writes about the Flyers and Fams. Bob, thanks so much for coming on today. All right. Thank you, Dave and Zach. Dave, I will see you tomorrow night for the Detroit game. Yep, absolutely. Good to talk to you, Bob. All right, Zach, you too. Well, there you have it, our interview with Bob Herpin from AlongTheBoards.com. Always good to get some uh, collegiate perspective here in the Loose Pucks podcast. With that, let's move along to our yes or no segment uh, one of the most popular segments of the show. Uh, we've got four yes or no questions. Dave and I will go back and forth, send them to each other. I have a little bit of discussion. So, Dave, the first one, I'll shoot this one over to you. Yes or no, will Jake Voracek return to the top line? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I don't think so. Uh, the, the top line isn't exactly lighting it up right now, but I think uh, the chemistry between Braden Shen, Claude Giroux, and Wayne Simmons is pretty good. That second line, I, I think that might be a spot for Voracek. I mean, here, here's what I would do, and I'm not Dave Haxtall, and as I've had to tell people time and time again on Twitter, I do not make the lineups. This is not my decision. But if it were, what mm-hmm. I would do is probably drop somebody from the fourth line, move Michael Raffle maybe down there, maybe to the third line, you know, have it be a carryover effect, and put Voracek back on the left wing with uh, Couture in the middle, and Sam Gagne on the right. Gagne is really, it's its pretty clear now that he's only effective in a top six role and that he can be very effective in a top six role. I think he's proven that four points in his last four games. Uh, it, it's a nice way to kind of ease Voracek in, I suppose, although that line does have a lot of defensive responsibilities. Uh, to me, that that's what I would do. I think that's a, a pretty good spot for him. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. Um, you know, certainly with, with the top line, yeah, they, they haven't been uh, uh, on fire uh, necessarily, but, uh, you know, Shen and, and Drew and Simmons, they, you know, they, they've worked well together. I think it's one of those things where the team's playing well. Uh, maybe you don't make drastic changes, but I agree. I, I think that probably is the best spot uh, to slot him in. If you look at that third line with Scott Lawton and, and Cousins and then Matt Reed on the right-hand side, um, probably wouldn't mess with them too much either, only because it's a line that seems to be working, and when something's working at this point in the season, I would just let it go. Um, but yeah, you make a good point on the fourth line. Easily, you could you could probably drop somebody from there and stick Raffle back down, and if for nothing else, it, it provides a little bit more offense to that line, and uh, to put you know put Voracek back up with Couturier, who you know he's got some familiarity there. He's he's played with him earlier in the season, and and yeah, Gagne, uh, you know. In my opinion, probably one of the, uh, you know, the the best offensive players for this team the last handful of games. Yeah, and it's interesting they they've 
kind of average close to four goals a game uh, without Voracek in there. So they're, they're they're getting some goal scoring, even five on five. I think the place where they've missed Voracek the most, it's been pretty obvious, is on that power play unit. So I think that's where he makes his biggest impact when he returns. Uh, Zach, the second one goes to you. Let's let's make an assumption here. Um, and, and this is putting the cart before the horse and, and say the Flyers get in. Are the Washington Capitals the best potential playoff matchup that the Flyers have in the first round? You know, they very well might be. And the reason I say that is for whatever reason, you know, every game between these two clubs, it is a playoff game, whether it's game one, whether it's game 82, or whether it is a postseason game. And my biggest concern with the Flyers, uh, again, assuming that they, they get into the playoffs here, is to to not necessarily play a team that's that's upper echelon like Washington because for whatever reason I have that that little bit of doubt that they'll they'll tend to play down a little bit. Now granted if you're in the playoffs you're, you know, top eight in your in your conference as it is. But you see a team like Washington, everybody's picking them to be, you know, the team out of the Eastern Conference. And you know, we talked to Stephen Wino earlier on the Loose Pucks podcast in one of our previous episodes uh, about Washington and uh, they certainly haven't done anything to to hurt that that ideology that they are the team, you know, to beat coming out of the East. But you have to think that with the confidence this team has now, it can only behoove them to to play a team of that caliber because up until this point, they seem to have really you know played them well. And if you look at some of the other teams that are above them here, um, you know, New York Rangers, I really don't want any piece of them because for whatever reason. Uh, I think the Flyers would be in trouble having to go up there. You know, Madison Square Garden that usually doesn't end well. Um, you know, teams in the Atlantic Division they've they've had Tampa's number recently and did well against Florida. But uh, again, I just I just don't get that that fuzzy feeling. And I think the ride would be easier for them, so to speak. And I use that loosely if they could even play a team like Washington. Uh, first round and, and, and move on from there. So, you know, talk about confidence being sky high. I I like the idea of, of playing that top dog, the team that you play well during the season. Uh, and I, you know, matchup-wise, I, I, I think they match up well with them. So, you know, certainly not making a declaration right now that that's a series that they would win, but I think it's a series that they would get up for, and, and I think the matchups are, are pretty even. And I'd, I'd like to see something like that happen. So with that, let's move on to number three. Dave, this is coming your way. So, again, keeping with the same idea that the Flyers are going to get into the playoffs, it's game one, first round, starting goaltender. Is it Steve Mason? I, I certainly think so. I think he's the, he was the guy at the beginning of the season. There was uh, that stretch there where, where Michael Neuver just blew the doors off of really the entire league. He had the top save percentage in the league at one point. I think he's come back to earth a little bit. Mason hasn't been tested a great deal uh, these past few games, really, since he he came back uh, into the lineup after missing you know part of that game in Toronto there. But I I just think he's the guy. Um, I, I think that this team is feeling it with him uh, between the pipes right now, and I know there's still 15 games to go here, but he he to me would be the guy that that goes in there. Michael Neuvert is is a very good one A, um, but when you have I guess preconceived notions. I, I don't know what the right term is. If there's if there's a downside to either one, I think it's more so on Neuvirth at this point uh, that you worry about him getting hurt. Uh, there, there seems to be something always going on with Steve Mason, also. But I, I think he's uh, had some injuries this year that we didn't necessarily know about that he's played through. 
I, I think that he's he's definitely feeling it right now. And and to me, yeah, he's he's got to be the guy that that's your game one starter. I agree, and you know they don't call him Stone Cold for nothing. And as you mentioned, you know he was the guy coming out of camp. Uh, and he's certainly, you know, showing that same fire right now. And, and yeah, they're not facing that many shots, which is a blessing. It's a great thing. Uh, but he, he's doing well in that environment. And um, to be honest, you know, Michael Norberth has been everything I could have hoped that he would be, which is uh, just to, you know, provide excellent goaltending and relief of Steve Mason. If there is an injury or just on a back-to-back or in a backup role and and as you mentioned, you know, instead of us having a one and two here in Philadelphia, we've really had a one A, uh, you know, one B almost, so to speak, um, you know, with two starting caliber goaltenders. So uh, I, I do think, though, that when push comes to shove, and, and we had we've mentioned this before in the past too, if you got to go with a guy, I think you're going to go with Stone Cold. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to kind of throw a, a whole wrench into that, or not not necessarily throw a wrench into it, but kind of a, a whole different point here. Could you imagine what this team would look like if if Ray Emery were still backing up? And I mean, he's at a very different point in his career than than Michael Neuvert was or is right now. But uh, you'd have to think that the Flyers would be nowhere close to where they are if if that were still the case and they didn't have Neuvert, especially with as well as he's played. Uh, final one going to you, Zach Nick Cousins. Uh, you mentioned earlier that that line's been pretty effective with uh, Matt Reed on the right and Scott Lawton on the left. Has he won a spot on next year's roster? I I would like to think so. I I mean he's uh I I wouldn't have, you know I wouldn't say light he's been lights out not in the sense of you know a twenty or thirty goal scorer but he's done everything that they've asked him to do and what they wanted him to do and and what he's done is he's come in and he's centered a line. And he's just kind of, he's made that line gel. You know, he's made that, that line to the point where it's difficult for the head coach to sit there and make adjustments to that line because they are playing well. And that's a testament, you know, to the, to the centerman. And, and he's, he's obviously done a, a, a good job. He's, uh, I, I give a lot of credit to Nick Cousins just for the way Scott Lawton's played coming back into the lineup because I think, um, you know, it was probably difficult for him to have to sit out a little bit and then, you know, shift from center to left wing, but he's, he's done it well. And I think he's done that because of the role that Nick Cousins has played. And I think what's impressive to me as well, too, is, yeah, he might only have about eight points in 20 games or so or something like that, but he's a plus seven player. So to be in those positions on the ice when you're only playing about 11 minutes a game or so, uh, you know, he, he's getting in the right positions. He's keeping that line in, in, you know, the right positions. And if you look at the team moving forward, uh, you know, we've talked about a guy like Konechny who, I'd have to think might be here next year, but there's other guys that I think maybe won't be here next year, depending on, you know, how creative on Hextall can get, uh, and or how much he's willing to kind of pay out over time if they were to kind of dump a guy like RJ Umberger after the season on the buyout or something like that. But, uh, one thing I will say about Nick Cousins is he certainly hasn't hurt himself in these 22 games. And to go back to the the original question about Voracek, what does it say that the first thought in our minds wasn't, well, you take Nick Cousins out, move Lawton back to center, drop Raffle down, and boom, there's a spot for for Voracek. If uh, you know Cousins is, has kind of almost been been thought of as a lock for at least the rest of the season now, so he's certainly done well in that regard. Uh, let's move on now to down the farm and talk about some of the CHL guys that we. Uh, Ignored a little bit earlier talking about the NCAA. Now we'll get back to the, kind of the usual suspects here. And 
stop me if you've heard this name before. Is it Pro- Provorov? Ivan Provorov. Uh, Brandon Wheat Kings, the WHL. We've heard Never that. Heard him before. <laughs> yeah, it seems like almost every show we talk about him. 59 games for the Brandon Wheat Kings, uh, 21 goals, 48 assists. Uh, 69 points. He's in the midst of a seven-game point streak. Seven-game point streak, yeah, with uh, 14. He, he's got to be here next year. He's, I, I don't see any way that he's not. And uh, impressive numbers there. Can't be anybody that's even remotely close to him. Oh, but there is. And his defenseman, Travis Sandheim, who plays for the Calgary Hitmen. He's also in the Western Hockey League. Uh, 49 games played for Travis. He's got 14 goals, 50 assists for 64 points. Uh, so right behind Provov there, he's got a five-game point streak going, uh, in which time he's had 11 points. A little bit of an injury setback, uh, but he's still first uh, in in all of the Canadian Hockey League as far as defensemen are concerned, points per game with 1.3. Um, and it will be interesting to see both him and Provov in their WHL's playoffs. And a guy that we mentioned earlier, Oscar Lindblom, his season is now over in Sweden, probably his last season in Sweden. Uh, I would suspect that he comes over. Uh, certainly next year, if not for for the tail end of this uh, phantom season, his team got eliminated uh, on Monday by your Gordon. I, I had to take notes on how to say that uh, in the Swedish Hockey League. Uh, eight goals. Sounds seven. like a like a brew, a beer, or something. Yeah, that that's right. I, I think I had an IPA named your Gordon over the weekend. Uh, eight <laughs> goals and seventeen assists for him in forty eight games, uh, and and he's one of the guys that the Flyers have been very impressed with. Uh, in, in terms of you know the prospects that they have, and like I said, I, I would suspect that he will be a, a Lehigh Valley Phantom next year. Now we'll go down to the South Jersey Report, a guy that we talked about with uh, Bob Herpin there for Kyle Criscuolo. He is at Harvard University. He's from Southampton. Uh, Harvard ranked ninth in the country. He's got 18 goals, 13 assists for 31 points in 31 games played. Nice point-per-game uh, average there. Uh, five points in his last five games, so he's certainly keeping that true. Uh, he's an undrafted free agent, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what comes of his immediate future. And T.J. Brennan, another guy that we've talked about quite a bit on this show, but uh, he comes back up again because he was recalled last week by the Toronto Maple Leafs for one game. They sent him right back. Why? I have no idea. I, they, they're recalling guys who I certainly can't pronounce their names, let alone have I ever heard of them before. So uh, interesting to see what they're doing up there in Toronto. He is third in the AHL in overall scoring with 22 goals, 36 assists, leads defenseman by 13 points. Uh, I don't know. After after him getting called up for one game and then going back, um, I, I don't know what, what lies in, in TJ's future. He's on a one-way one way and one-year contract up there in Toronto. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens on July 1st with him. Certainly rooting for him as we've uh, we've had TJ on the podcast. Great guy, even better hockey player. Uh, the last guy we're going to talk about here is right wing Marcus Dickerson. He plays for Mississauga, the Ontario Hockey League. He's from West Deptford. Had a game winner this past Sunday in a 2-1 to win over the Sudbury Wolves. Uh, and he is draft eligible this year. So again, just like Chris Carolla, it'll be interesting to see what his future holds as we come up to the 2016 NHL Interdraft. Now let's take it to the big finish. Uh, sweeping declarations, Zach. You're you're on a, a a one podcast win streak here. I don't even remember what mine was last week, but I'm sure it wasn't good. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I haven't even put any thought into this at all. But uh, you know what? I, I was talking with uh, my editor Tom McGurk earlier. We were trying to plan out the the future here, 
see what we need to to account for for the rest of the year. Uh, we put the court uh, the cart before the horse a little bit earlier in the show, and I'll continue doing that. I do think that the Flyers make it to the playoffs, uh, and I also think that they get through the first round. That, that's my sweeping declaration. I think they Ooh, probably do have to get like a team like the Capitals. I agree with you. Uh, point on with, with your assessment earlier, I think that it, it has something to do with the way that they play against teams. And even though they, they beat Tampa twice in one week, they scare me. Uh, the Florida Panthers, definitely a scary team. I don't think the Flyers would make it out of a, a seven-game series with them. Same thing with the Rangers if you have to go into Madison Square Garden. I mean, if they if they played the Pittsburgh Penguins in a seven-game series, they could sweep it in two games. But uh, they, they would probably have to go up against somebody like the Capitals. And, you know, I, I think they might be able to do it. I like that. I think uh, I think that is bold, and I like bold, as, as everyone can obviously tell from some of my declarations. <laughs> uh, and I think for me here, um, you know, we talked about if I could hit another one, I'd be going on a winning streak and, I'm uh, I'm going to give myself uh, a, a, an easy one, kind of a you know a, a something that I I know I can get right here. It's it's probably cheating a little bit, uh, but I, I'm, my sweeping declaration is going to be uh, as it pertains to the the Flyers Youth Special Hockey Program. We've talked about them before a little bit. Um, a squad that I helped coach on Saturday mornings at the Flyers uh, practice rink over there in Voorhees. Uh, it's going to be fun time for them tomorrow night. They actually will be the mics on ice at the intermission um, for the game between. By the Flyers and Detroit Red Wings tomorrow night. So my sweeping declaration is going to be that they're going to blow the roof off that off that place, have a great time out there, and uh, keep everybody in the stands, uh, you know, really really into what's going in, you know, going on the ice during the intermission. So I'm looking forward to seeing those guys go out there, guys and girls go out there and really give it their all, and uh, hopefully for a, a Philadelphia Flyers win to inch them that much closer to both Detroit and Pittsburgh and see where we go from here see maybe for next week's episode they're actually in a wild card spot we will see that's a, a terrific program that, that you work with and all the best to them uh on tuesday night in, in the intermission there and we'll see next time maybe maybe uh one of your sweeping declarations you can get a little healthier and, and uh hopefully feel feel good for the next podcast so uh thanks for for toughing it out and doing this one uh on location uh, but hopefully you feel better, Zach, for, for episode 13. And thank you for tuning in to episode 12. Uh, not sure how you came about us, but we are on SoundCloud. We are on the iTunes uh, podcast store, and we are also on the Courier Post website. So check us out in all three places, and hopefully you tune back in for episode 13. For Zach Hopkins, I'm Dave Isaac. We will see you next time.